0: John chapter 15 verse 26 to chapter 16 verse 15 When the advocate comes whom I will send to you from the Father the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father he will testify about me and you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning All this I have told you so that you will not fall away they will put you out of the synagogue in fact The time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Let's pray together. Father, as we think about the work of the Spirit this
1: morning, we thank you for the gift that he is to us. And we pray for his presence now in our hearts as we seek to understand your word and apply it to our lives. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. Well, last week um, in John chapter 15, we thought about the immeasurable joy of being joined to Jesus. You remember the image of the fruitful vine and the branches that are connected to the vine, and if they are, they will indeed bear fruit. Point being, if we remain connected to Christ, if we remain in the vine, then we will bear fruit for the glory of God. We read that back in chapter 15, verse five. I am the vine, says Jesus, you are the branches. If you remain in me, And I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Christ, apart from the work of the Spirit in our hearts, we cannot bear lasting fruit for the glory of God. And that's why this image of the fruitful vine in John chapter 15 is sandwiched in between two key teaching blocks on the work of the Spirit. Can you see how that's laid out for us, these few chapters? Chapter 14, the advocate will come. Chapter 16, the advocate will come. And then right in the middle in chapter 15, we have this image of a a fruitful follower of Jesus. Why? Because it is the work of the Spirit to bring us to Christ, to graft us into the vine and keep us in the vine in order that we bear fruit for the glory of God. John Stott spoke about the work of the Spirit is that of a matchmaker and a marriage counselor. It's a great analogy, isn't it? To bring us to Jesus, to keep us together with Jesus in order that we bear lasting fruit for Jesus. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Well, as we saw last week, the fruit that is primarily in views the fruit of Christ's likeness. To become more fruitful is to become more like Jesus. And this week we'll see that to become more like Jesus is to become more mission-minded. And that's the theme that Jesus now picks up with at the end of chapter 15. Have a look if you would, verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, He will testify about me. You see, Jesus hasn't just given us the gift of the Spirit for the sake of our own personal maturity, but also for the sake of world mission. It is the work of the Spirit to bear witness to the words and works of Jesus in this world. And we'll see that he does that in two main ways. Number one, he equips the church. And number two, he convicts the world. Now, if you cast your mind back over the earlier chapters of John's Gospel, you may remember that the Father is pictured as being incredibly generous. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved this world that he gave, in sheer generosity, he gave to this world his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And now the Father is also promising to give the gift of his Spirit to the world. And in verse 26, he tells us why. Have a look again. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. The advocate comes, yes, to stand alongside us in troubling times. We looked at that in chapter 14. But he also comes to stand alongside us in mission the spirit comes in order to make Jesus known and in verse 27 the disciples are called to join the spirit in this wonderful work of testifying to the truth have a look verse 27 and you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning particularly in view here are the apostles that original band of disciples that have been with Jesus From the beginning of his earthly ministry they were there they were there when Jesus calmed the storm with three words they were there when Jesus raised the dead they were there they were there when Jesus fed the vast crowd with five loaves and two fishes they were there when Jesus taught with such supreme and sublime authority they were there And now it's their job alongside the Spirit to speak, to testify about all that they have seen and heard. You see, at this crucial moment in salvation history, as Jesus prepares to return to his Father in heaven, he also prepares his disciples to bear witness to him when he is gone. And crucially to do so in the power of the Spirit. And that's exactly what we see in the book of Acts, isn't it? after the the ascension of Jesus to heaven with the coming of the Spirit, the apostles, these original disciples, take the good news of the Jesus out to the ends of the earth in the power of the Spirit. And as they do, the New Testament church is born. Now crucial to that success and crucial to the ongoing success and progress of the gospel is what Jesus teaches here in verse 26 and 27 that this is supremely the work of the Spirit. We are simply called to keep in step with what he is doing. For those of you who've done a bit of cycling before, you'll be familiar with the term drafting or slipstreaming. You see, if you're cycling into a headwind, a strong wind in your face, it can be really, really hard work. You could be pushing down on the pedals and it feels like you're going nowhere. To slipstream is to fall in line behind someone else. So essentially, they're doing all the work. You're just tucked in behind them. And that's the point that Jesus is making here. Mission isn't about charging off in our own strength, thinking we can conquer the world for Jesus on our own. It is about falling in line with the Spirit and what He is doing. It's known that He is going before us to prepare the ground and and He lives in our hearts and we're simply called to tuck Him behind and keep in step with what the Spirit is doing in our lives and in this world. Do you remember the words at the end of Matthew's Gospel? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And here's the promise, and surely, I will be with you always, to the very end of the age. As we commit ourselves to mission, Jesus commits himself to us. We go, but we do not go alone. We go in the power of the Spirit. And those words are incredibly important given the context of John's gospel. Because either side of the the promise in verse 26 and the call to join the Spirit in verse 27, we're given two clear warnings of just how hard it will be testifying to the truth about Jesus. Have a look back, verse 20 of chapter 15. Remember what I told you, says Jesus. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And again in verse 25, But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. If you stand with Jesus... If you bear fruit for Jesus, John chapter 15, the fruitful vine, if you testify about Jesus, the world will hate you. Then on the other side of the promise, we have another warning at the start of chapter 16. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. And there follows the hardships of testifying about Jesus. You see, Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's in store. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Imagine if we'd known about the coronavirus in advance, how much better prepared we could have been in hospitals with beds and ventilators and PPE, how much better prepared industry could have been. We could have had time to work on some sort of vaccine, but we weren't prepared. We didn't know it was coming. And the whole world has been caught on the back foot. Or when it comes to evangelism, Jesus doesn't want the church to be caught on the back foot. He wants us to be prepared. He wants us to know how difficult it will be bearing witness to the truth. And it's in the face of that reality that the promise in verse 26 is so precious because the advocate has now come. You see, Jesus has not left us on our own when it comes to our evangelistic endeavors. And so the question for us is this, as we continue to live through these difficult days, what does mission under lockdown look like? Well, in one sense, not a lot changes. We still need to be faithful. We still need to be prayerful. We still need to be deliberate. We still need to be discerning. We still need to tell people about Christ but of course the dynamic now is different we we cannot do that face to face so there's a, there's a physical gap there's a distance between us and other people and so we need to be creative maybe it's a card or a letter in the post to to tell someone of something of the hope that we have in the gospel maybe We could send them a book or a gospel tract. Maybe maybe we should forward on a link to a service or a thought for the day or a thought for the week just to provoke people to think a little bit more at this time. Maybe we just need to tell someone that we're praying for them in these difficult days. Could I ask you or encourage you to ask the Lord what he wants you to do and take a brave step this week to do it? Maybe over lunch this afternoon, you wanna talk about these things together or sit down on your own and and write it down. What are you gonna do? Put it in the diary and prayerfully commit to doing it. And then wait and pray. As you see the gracious activity of God by his spirit in the hearts of others. And whatever brave step you choose to take for Jesus this week, please remember that you do not take that step on your own. Firstly, the spirit of truth equips the church. Secondly, the spirit of truth convicts the world. Have a look at verse seven and verse eight. Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus here returns to the subject of his departure. And as he does, he actually helps his disciples understand that it is for their good. Can you see that verse seven? Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Now the instinctive question to ask is how? How on earth can it be for the good of the disciples if Jesus leaves them? Well, the answer is given in the second half of verse 7. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Only when Jesus has died on a cross for sin, risen to new life, and ascended into heaven, will the door be open for the coming of Of the Spirit. You see, Father, Son, and Spirit are all God. But 2000 years ago, when the second person of the Trinity, when the Son of God became flesh, when he walked in this world he was limited in his humanity, in his physical body to being in one place at one time. The spirit is not limited in that sense. He can be in all places at all times, equipping the church and convicting the world. He can be at work right here in Long Crenden, at the same time in London, at the same time in Lebanon, in Lithuania. The spirit can be at work in all the different affairs of this world at all times. But particularly in view and here in verse 8 is his concern to build the church and bring people to know Christ. Have a look at verse 8. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Or as it says in the ESV translation, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment it is the advocate's job to convict the world and to show people that they were wrong to not believe in jesus i remember that personal moment of conviction ever so clearly in a in a car park in cambridge i've been to visit a mate and he prayed for me before i left and that was the moment when god did his deep convicting work in my heart and What's remarkable as I look back on that day and that time is I I didn't learn anything new about Jesus that day. I already knew the gospel. No one told me anything new about Jesus that day, but when Gaz prayed for me, the Spirit did his work in my heart. That was the moment he chose to open my blind eyes and help me see my sin and my need for a savior. I'd been wrong about Jesus until that point. And at that moment, the Spirit made it clear to me. And you see then in the following verses, Jesus expands on that glorious, convicting work. He speaks about sin and righteousness and judgment. Firstly, verse nine, about sin, because people do not believe in me. Back in John chapter three, verse 19 and 20, we learn that Jesus came into this world as the light of the world to expose the darkness of the human heart. This is the verdict. Light has come. When Jesus came into this world, light came into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. The word exposed that you see there in verse 20. It's the same word that's translated prove or convict back in chapter 16, verse 8. And so just as Jesus exposed people's sin during his earthly ministry, so the Spirit continues that work of convicting sin in people's hearts today in order that they might turn from their sin and turn to their Savior. Secondly, verse 10, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where they can see me no longer. Just like in Jesus' day, people have a distorted view of what it means to be righteous. The Pharisees claimed to be righteous, but as we know, they're anything but. Their righteousness was was a legalistic, self-imposed righteousness. Likewise, in our day, many people claim to be good, and morally sound, yet it is the Spirit's work to help them see that their good works are not good enough. To quote the prophets, Isaiah, even our most righteous deeds are filthy rags. Or to quote the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 3, there is no one righteous, not even one, no one who understands, no one who seeks God, all have turned away, together they have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And it is the work of the Spirit to help us see that our good works are not good enough to take us to heaven, only through Christ the righteous one who became unrighteous and bore our sin in his body on the tree, only through him can we come to the Father. And thirdly, verse 11, and about judgment, because the prince of the world now stands condemned. You see, Jesus died on the cross. The world passed judgment on Jesus. But actually there was a greater judgment Judgment going on because Jesus was passing judgments on Satan or the prince of this world as he's described in verse 11 The Spirit's work therefore is to help us see the folly of lining up against Jesus because he is the triumphant one That instead people might stand with Jesus and share in the riches of his victory over sin and death This is the work of the Spirit's But before we move on too quickly, we need to remember that we also have a part to play in exposing sin. I remember as a a young Christian converted, age 22, being incredibly zealous and passionate to tell people about Jesus and to speak about sin. And as I look back, I don't think I did it particularly helpfully or very graciously. I remember the The wonderful counsel, the wisdom of an older, maturer Christian who spoke to me about this and said this. These were his words of counsel. Speak more about Jesus. It's wonderfully simple, isn't it? Speak more about Jesus. Now, his point wasn't don't speak about sin. His point was the more that we speak about the real Jesus, the more we present Christ before this world, the more people will see their sin and their need for a saviour. remember thinking I was all right at table tennis as a younger lad. That was until I played number four in England and he beat me 21-3, playing left-handed. I was absolutely battered by him. You see, until that moment, you, you look around and you compare yourself to the standard table tennis player and you think you're all right or you think you're actually quite good until you come up against somebody like that, and that's how we live a lot of life. We compare ourselves to other people around us, but when we compare ourselves to Christ, when we lay his life next to ours, we see how poor we actually are. And so maybe your challenge this week is to speak more about Jesus, and as you do, pray that the Spirit would take those words and convict people of their sin in order they might turn to their saviour and find life. And that brings us to our last and briefest point this morning. Firstly, the Spirit was given to equip the church. Secondly, the Spirit was given to convict the world. And thirdly, the Spirit was given to help us see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Have a look at verse 12 onwards. I have much more to say to you more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. The Spirit's work is a spotlight ministry and the spotlight is on Jesus. Can you see that verse 13? When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. And what is the truth? Well, the truth is Jesus. We've seen that already back in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth and it is the Spirit's work to illuminate Christ that people might see the truth. You see it again in verse 14. He, that's the Spirit, will glorify me, says Jesus. It is the Spirit's work, it's his work. To help us see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Or to put it another way, the Spirit functions as a spotlight. For those of you who have ever been to uh, a night game, a footy match at night under the floodlights, you'll know when you arrive you, of course, find your seat. And what you don't do is then spend the next 90 minutes looking up at the floodlights what you do is watch the action on the field of play, but it's the floodlight that helps you see all that is happening on the field of play. And in the same way, the Spirit helps us see where the action really is. He illuminates Christ. He helps, helps us understand his words. He helps us marvel at his works and he helps us see the full glory of God in the face of his Son. And that's what's so beautiful about these chapters, how we see the Trinity working together in perfect harmony. The Father sends the Spirit, the Spirit shines upon the Son, and the Son shows us the Father in all his glory. And that's why we began this series back in chapter 14. Do you remember the conversation between Jesus and Philip? Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, "Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. See Jesus, see God." But of course the sad reality is that many people can't see. We're reminded of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4. The god of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So many people in this world are blind to who Jesus is. Their eyes are veiled, and they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. And that's why we need to pray. We need to pray for an outpouring of the Spirit because only God can open the eyes of the spiritually blind. Only when the Spirit works in people's hearts do they see. And so I hope this morning as you're sat there in the the comfort of your own home that you are praising God for the gift of his Spirit. For it is he who equips his church for mission. It is he who convicts the world of its sin and its need for a savior. And it is he who helps us see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so as we finish, let me leave you with that question that we uh, mentioned earlier to think about for a few moments. With the help of the Spirit, what brave step will you take this week for Jesus? Maybe a question to discuss or think about or pray about sometime this afternoon. But why don't you take a few moments now to consider that question. And then we're gonna sing again before we
0: close.